We determine our destination, we plot our course, and we navigate this boat called life. But what happens when the wind moves you faster than you plan? What happens when the waves are more challenging than you expected? How do you respond? My friend Nigel has spent more than 40 years under sails. He's logged countless nautical miles in the most treacherous waters in the world. I spent the afternoon with Nigel and learned that sailing isn't about right and wrong. It's about making choices. And those choices, wise or foolish, make all the difference. First thing I do when I get on the boat is I check that we don't have a leak in the bilge, that we're not sinking. Uh, I make sure that we've got our nav gear ready and that everything's working. So that's the compass that uh, we're able to find uh, true north. You're going to also need to check the engine, that you've got engine oil, fuel, coolant, water coming through the engine, and that all the safety equipment is ready to go. The, those are the key elements you need to go sailing. We still need to set our destination and we got to, we got to know where it is for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we got to know if there's going to be a tide, we got to know if there's going to be current that's going to be, we're going to be dealing with. We got to know the wind direction because we might make a lot of leeway. And so we need to understand all those elements in order to make sure we get to the destination that we're aiming for. Good morning, welcome to Bayview Glen this morning. Um, can you join me in thanking our worship team for leading us this morning and say thanks to those guys? Thanks as well to our, our fearless tech crew in the back. Every now and then we get gremlins in the system and uh, those guys have to address gremlins head on, don't you? Yeah, so I uh, appreciate you doing that because that video was critical for us this morning. Just setting up this series called Choices. Uh, my name is Lucas, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here, and we uh, are so glad that you're here with us talking about choices, life choices. We all face choices every day, and the Bible's got a lot to say about how we maximize uh, those opportunities and make great choices. By way of introduction this morning, I'll share a little story with you. In Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll tells the story of a young girl named Alice that falls down a rabbit hole into a fantasy world populated by rather peculiar creatures. During her journey, Alice comes to a fork in the road and inquires of one of those creatures, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? The Cheshire Cat responds, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice declares, I don't much care where. The Cheshire cat wisely observes, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Max, our youth intern, got engaged last week. He decided to pop the question on Toronto Island, and he didn't have time to scout out locations beforehand. So like Alice, his choices were not determined by a destination that he had 
uh, determined beforehand. He didn't care where he ended up like Alice, so it didn't much matter where he went. So after a bit of searching, Max chose a location, got down on one knee, popped the question, she said yes, and they hugged. And then she did something strange. She gasped loudly. Unfortunately, Max did not realize he had led his new fiance to the clothing optional part of the island. <laughs> Max and Leisha quickly realized they were joined by another beachgoer, an extremely scantily clad man. And when I say scantily clad, I mean Adam and Eve scantily clad. Max could have avoided the unwelcome naked visitor and the embarrassment if he would have determined his destination in advance and made different choices in order to get there, but then he wouldn't have such a great engagement story, I guess. <laughs> What's true in sailing is true for Alice, and it's true for Max, and it's true for you and me. Destination makes all the difference. No compass can take you somewhere unless you define somewhere. No map can guide you unless you know where you'd like to go. No boat can determine your destination for you. You have to do that, and destination makes all the difference. Same is true for life. Have you ever ended up somewhere in life that you didn't want to get to? Have you ever ended up somewhere financially and think to yourself, how did I get in this financial situation? Or how did my relationships end up this way? Or how did I get to this place when it comes to my emotional and spiritual health? Better yet, have you ever had a difficult time making choices at all? Should I make this purchase? Should I date this person? Should I take this job? Should I start a new company? Should I move to this new city? I would venture to guess that a vast majority of the poor life decisions we make and the times we feel paralyzed to make any choice at all are because we don't have a destination in mind. I would also venture to guess that a majority of our best life choices are made when we target a very specific destination. So over the next five weeks, our goal is to equip you with some practical skills to help you make great life choices. We're talking about seeking counsel. We're talking about applying experience. We'll even talk about correcting poor choices and anchoring it all in a foundation that does not move. But today we're talking about the most important aspect of navigating life. And it's a very simple question. Where do you want to end up? Where do you want to go? Because destination makes all the difference. I think that we know intuitively that destination makes all the difference when it comes to making great life choices, but the real question is, what's the right destination? In which direction should we orient our life trajectory? When all is said and done, where is the best place to end up? And then how does that preferred destination that we determine beforehand impact the choices that we make in the here and now? I think that we can find a good deal of help and a good deal of great counsel from a guy named Solomon. Almost a thousand years before Jesus came along, Solomon was the third king in Israel. Solomon's father, King David, united once were, what were once 12 nomadic tribes. He established Israel's capital in Jerusalem. He grew Israel's army in number and efficacy. He increased Israel's boundary from 6,000 to get this, 60,000 
square miles, and he brought extraordinary prosperity to the nation of Israel. So when Solomon became king and inherited all that his father had done, there was not much that he couldn't do. Solomon was a trust fund baby with unending resources and just enough crazy to conduct the greatest social experiment in the pursuit of pleasure ever known to man. And here's the great part. He wrote a diary about it. (laughs) It's called Ecclesiastes. In that diary, Solomon explains that his choices were not shaped by a final destination that he determined beforehand. They were shaped by what felt good at the time. He focused on the moment at hand. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon explains that he indulged in pleasure, laughter, and wine without any boundaries. He built houses, vineyards, gardens, and parks for himself. He acquired possessions without reservation, and at the pinnacle of his pursuit, he likely had more slaves and livestock than anyone in the modern world. He had silver and gold and treasure. He had more than 300 wives and 700 concubines. Brave man. Solomon summarizes his pursuit of pleasure this way. Look up here on the screen. He says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Can you believe this? Here's what Solomon is saying. If I saw it and I liked it, I took it. And he had absolutely no glass ceiling when it came to his quest for pleasure. When Solomon had a crazy idea, he would have never heard the words, you don't have enough power, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough influence. He would have never heard that. He could do whatever he wanted. All the boundaries were gone. This was a no-holds-barred, no-rules pursuit of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If Solomon were around today, he would have a yacht, a big yacht. And that yacht would have a garage where he put a smaller yacht. And that yacht would have a garage for a Bentley, and the Bentley would have a helicopter pad. And he would probably have a very interesting Instagram account. (laughs) During his quest, Solomon arrived at a very unique conclusion. Look how he closes his journal in Ecclesiastes chapter 13. He writes this. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Look. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, this is fascinating to me. This is a guy who had it all. He denied himself nothing. He took everything his eyes desired, and he says, here is true north. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let's talk about what this means. First, that word fear in the Bible is not exactly how we think of fear today. It's not shaking in one's boots with trepidation. It's not uh, terror at the unknown or something that might do me harm. Biblically speaking, fear is a healthy respect for a person, place, or thing. It's that sense of awe that we feel when we stand next to something greater than us, when we see true majesty and power and beauty. It's really about a heart posture. It's about how we see ourselves when we stand next to the power of God. This is what Solomon concludes, that the whole duty of man begins with the right heart posture. Second, Solomon tells us that the best aim in life is keeping God's commandments. 
It's interesting. All the money, all the power, all the influence, all the women, he had it all. And how much does he mention? Zero. Solomon talks about character. He talks about obeying God. He says, this is it. This is true north. Set your compass on a right heart posture before God and developing exemplary character. In other words, here's what Solomon tells us to conclude his journal, this book of Ecclesiastes. He tells us that who you are is more important than what you do. Throw that up here on the screen for me, if you would. Who you are is more important than what you do. This is a critical principle when it comes to making great life choices. Decide who you want to be, not what you want to do. Let's unpack this just a little bit, and then we're going to talk about how it makes a difference in day-to-day choices. For so many of us, we have oriented our life pursuit around a set of goals that we would like to accomplish, and typically those goals relate to what we would like to do. So we say things like, I'd like to get married by the time I'm this age. I'd like to make my first million dollars by the time I'm that age. I want to have this many children. I want to retire by the time I'm this age. And none of those things are bad things. In fact, they can be really good things. But while they're not bad things to desire, they do make a very bad decision-making grid. Because if you and I looked back on our lives at the worst choices we've ever made, at the most foolish choices we've ever made, if we were honest, our desired accomplishments drove those choices rather than heart posture and character. And I would be willing to bet that you'd be thrilled to have the opportunity to go back and do those choices over, but superimpose Solomon's principle on the top of them and let heart posture and character drive those choices, wouldn't you? Rather than what you wanted to do driving those decisions, what if who you wanted to be drove those decisions? What if you focused on heart posture and character? How would your choices have changed for the better? I'll tell you a story about one of my foolish choices. When I was 21 years old, I had just graduated from university and I went to work selling web development. I was driving a little Nissan pickup at the time that I had bought brand new when I graduated high school. I put every mile on that truck. It was in great shape, it was a great truck, but I had a new job. So I wanted a new truck. So I traded in my Nissan for a full-size, four-wheel drive Chevy with leather interior and heated seats because you need those in Arizona. (laughs) That's what I told myself. Unfortunately, that brand new pickup came with a brand new car payment. So when I lost my job four months later, four months later, I was out of luck and needed to call in reinforcements, namely my dad. Turns out that purchase was a very foolish choice. Was it immoral? Nope. Was it illegal? Nope. Was it unbiblical? I don't think so. It was just a very unwise choice that was driven by a misguided focus. I was focused on what I wanted to do, not who I wanted to be. See it? So let's superimpose Solomon's principle on my decision. How would a thankful heart posture have helped me make a better choice? What if my true north was the heart posture of gratitude and the character trait of contentment? I would have made a much better choice. What about you? 
Have you ever made a foolish financial choice because you were not content? Have you ever made a foolish dating choice because you were not content? Have you ever seen a marriage blow up because one or both spouses were not content? I have. I certainly have. And that's just one, just one bit of a right heart posture, just one godly character trait, contentment, that's driven by a great heart posture, the heart posture of gratitude, and it would radically change our life choices for the better. But there's so much more when it comes to a great heart posture and godly character. Humility, grace, generosity, joy, love for others, and that heart posture and character, when we put them to work and say, that's my destination, that's my true north, that's where I'm headed, so I'm going to let it govern my choices now, we see our life choices get better almost immediately. Single people, married people will tell you when you make dating choices, especially or eventually marriage choices, ask yourself. Is my relationship with this person going to move my life toward a great heart posture and godly character or move away from it? Entrepreneurs, businessmen, and women. In his book called Good to Great, Jim Collins argues that exemplary leaders, level five leaders like Steve Jobs, like Jack Welch, are set apart by a single character trait in common. That character trait is humility, the right heart posture. Solomon's principle works in business too. So when you're faced with a choice, ask yourself, what's the humble thing to do? And watch clarity and wisdom and great choices come as a result. Moms and dads, when you're making parenting choices, what if your ultimate aim was to help your kids develop a great heart posture and godly character? What if you focused on who they are and not what they did? Would that not change your home? Newly married men and women, empty nesters, retirees, whoever you are, this principle works for each and every one of us when we are faced with choices in life. Should I buy that? Should I change jobs? Should I move to another city? Should I ask her out? Should I make that investment? Should I attend that conference? Should I enroll my kid in that school? From the big choices to the small choices, take Solomon's advice, focus on heart posture and character. Forget accomplishments and accolades. Focus on who you want to be, not what you want to do. And watch your life choices get clearer and vastly better almost immediately. And it's not just that. This principle of focusing on who you want to be, not what you want to do, focusing on heart posture and character brings great freedom in the midst of those life choices as well. Why? Because you can't always control what you do. You can't always control what you do. We have some say in what we do when we get married, when we have kids, when we retire, how successful we are in business, but we don't have complete control. External circumstances can exert influence in those situations, and that might prevent us from doing what we want to do, at the very least, when we want to do it. But check this out. You can always control who you are. For type A guys like me who love to manage outcomes and love to have control, this just brings so much freedom. It's unbelievable. 
For those of you who are not type A, you can just check out for the next 90 seconds. But for those of you who are like me and you want some level of control, I can just tell you right now, you cannot always control what you do. There are external factors that are going to impact what you do and when you do it, but you can always control who you are. You and only you get to make a decision as to your heart posture and your character. You can always control who you are. This principle also brings a ton of freedom because it might be too late to do what you want to do. It might be too late to do what you want to do. Sometimes life deals us cards that we didn't want. Sometimes it gets disappointing. Sometimes we have struggles and frustrations. And it might be too late to do those things that you want to do. It might be too late to make a million dollars. If you're past the age of 40, it's too late to retire when you're 40, if you're not already, if you're not already done that. It might be too late to have children. It might be too late to do what you think you'd like to do. It might be too late, but it's never too late to be who you want to be. It's never too late to be who you want to be. It's never too late to develop a right heart posture and godly character. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to grow. It's never too late to be who you want to be. See, you have control over who you are, and it's never too late to be that person. Finally, this is a freeing principle because being who you want to be is the best way to do what you want to do. Being who you want to be is the best way to do what you want to do. Now, look, I just want to tell you right right here, just so everybody's clear on this, that the right heart posture before God and godly character does not always lead to doing what you want to do. That's not how this works. Understand that that's not a biblical concept. But listen, I would venture to guess that the most extraordinary leaders, innovators, authors, parents, employees, students around the globe did not set out to do something. They set out to be someone. They set out to be a hard worker, to be a contributor, to be a servant, to be a leader, not do, not accomplishments and accolades, but being, character, and posture. And that commitment to being something opened doors to doing something they never could have imagined. One example. In 1986, a young man named Jamal was born to a very under-resourced single-parent household in Port Arthur, Texas, which at the time had the highest crime rate in the United States. His grandparents were his primary caretakers. They lived in a three-bedroom house that was often home to 32 cousins. When Jamal was five years old, he took up sports and found that he had more natural ability than most of his peers. But when he was in grade three, Jamal was diagnosed with a reading disability and placed in special education classes. Those classes meant that he qualified for the Special Olympics rather than the standard sports that his peers participated in. Now... If Jamal was focused on doing rather than being, he might have become confused, frustrated, or even given up. But rather than resisting or becoming frustrated, Jamal focused on being a hard worker, a courageous competitor. He enjoyed... 
opportunities. In fact, the Special Olympics motto is, let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt, focused on being, not doing. And Jamal was brave indeed. If Jamal would set his sights on what he wanted to do in life, I am guessing that competing in the Special Olympics would not have been on that list. But instead of focusing on what he wanted to do, Jamal focused on what he wanted to be, a courageous competitor that gave his all no matter what he did, and that's what he did. Today, Jamal Charles is an NFL running back with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been selected to five Pro Bowls. He has a big, fat national championship ring from the, uh, from the University of Texas. He's the NFL's all-time leading rusher in yards per carry, and he makes a cool $8.5 million a year, not including endorsements. And it's because Jamal Charles focused on being, not doing, posture and character, not performance and accomplishments. And that being opened doors to doing that he never would have dreamed. You know, the same is true for Jesus. His life didn't start with a set of accomplishments in mind. He was all about heart posture and character, humility, grace, kindness. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about him, not because he set out to do, but because he set out to be, to develop a great posture before God, an exemplary character. We would be well served to do the same. Nigel actually let me take the helm of his boat on a couple of occasions. Um, th there was a lot of lack of wisdom in that, but that's beside the point. And he said to me, Lucas, point us towards the CN Tower and stay on course. And I would do just that. I would point us to, toward our destination and we would stay on course. And every choice that I made, every turn of the wheel, every response to a change in wind speed, every choice was made to keep us on course because it was all about destination. Such is the case in life. Destination makes all the difference. So here's the final question that I want to leave you with this morning. As you ponder, as you meditate on, as you consider where you're headed in life, here's, here's just one question, and I would encourage you to let this linger. Here we go. Who do you want to be? Not what do you want to do, but who do you want to be? Where are you headed? What's your true north? What's your preferred destination? Who do you want to be? I would invite you this morning to learn from Solomon, the man who had it all and concluded that heart posture and character is more important than anything else. Make that your destination. Because when it comes to making great choices, destination makes all the difference. Would you pray with me? As the worship team kind of comes back up to lead us in a final song, I would just invite you to ponder that question. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? God, too often the wind and waves of culture and the current of even the own things that, uh, the, the things that lurk in our own heart cause us to drift off course. 
cause us to lose our way, cause us to lose sight of that destination that we should have in mind. So God, we invite you today to refocus our heart, reorient our minds and eyes on character and posture. That you would create in us humility, contentment, gratitude, grace, courage, and kindness. That you would develop those character traits in us and that you would develop that heart posture in us. Thanks, God, for the opportunity to worship together this morning. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen.